So last week, um, we started by sort of talking about there's good news everywhere, that the gospel just means good news, but we sort of talked about there's then the gospel of a five-day weekend. There's gospel of no homework. There's a gospel of uh, mom and dad are going to buy me a car. That's awesome. Like, that's really good news. There's gospel of I'm going to get a smartphone or a new iPhone. Last week, I mentioned those AirPods that my friend had. That was good news for him. This one Apple store had AirPods, and he bought them, and they were awesome. There's good news all over the place. And certainly there's good news when it comes to Christianity. We don't use the word gospel in everyday language, but we certainly do at church. And this is sort of like the core, core, probably biggest, most foundational teaching of Christianity. It's what it's all about. Um, I said, if we had to define what, what the gospel is, many of us, like, could we do that? Could we do it clearly? Could we do it simply? Um, and in a sense, the gospel is very, very simple. And yet, in a sense, it's very, very complex and so just real quick, I want to cap, and I don't want to spend too much, in fact, we even skipped this looking at the time, um, but last week we said that the gospel, like the Trinity, like other uh, major Christian doctrines, um, are sort of complex, and they have these aspects to them, sort of these, um, these different ways of viewing them. I didn't say this last week. Think of the person of Jesus Christ, or Christology, the study of Jesus. So Jesus was fully God and fully man, the only person who's ever been that way, 100% God, and 100% man, not all or not mostly human and sort of this God consciousness, not mostly God with sort of the illusion of being human. No, both, fully God, fully man. Or we said the Trinity. We said the Trinity is not, it's not a pie. And the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not one third of the pie. But perhaps a better way to think about it would be like a glass pyramid with a Father side and a Son side and a Holy Spirit side. And so when you look through the Holy Spirit, you don't just understand the Spirit better, but you'd come to understand the Father and the Son better. Or when you look through the Father's side, you don't just understand the Father better, but you start to see the Son and the Spirit better. Uh, there's the, 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 there are these different aspects. And so we said there's three different aspects to the gospel. And um, we don't even, many of us have never heard this before. This was maybe new information for you last week. But I put it this way, that the three aspects were there's the historical aspect, which were the gospel events like the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the mention of Jesus, that this is sort of like what most of us grew up believing that the gospel is, that the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again, if you grew up going to church. Is that the gospel? Yes, like that's totally it. But that's actually just one aspect, and that's the gospel events. We said the gospel is good news about what Jesus Christ has done, not primarily advice on how to live. That it doesn't mean there's no advice. Of course there's advice in the Bible, but that's not the main thing. That's not the fundamental thing. That Christianity is about what Jesus Christ has done. It's not about what you do. It doesn't come down to what you do. Are you supposed to obey? Yes, of course. But fundamentally, it's about what Jesus Christ has done, which is why it's good news. It's happened. It's not good advice. Every other major world religion is good advice salvation. And it's primarily about what you do. It doesn't really matter what Muhammad did when he was here on this earth. Because fundamentally, as a Muslim, your job is to like, uh, adhere to the five pillars, right? Or if you're a Jewish, to obey the Ten Commandments. Again, doesn't mean there's not good news, but it's primarily good advice. The nutshell is this. Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death that you deserve to die in your place as your seed. Now, I love to say that Jesus took our death penalty for us. And he was the only person qualified to do that. Tirza could not die for my sins, and I could not die for Tirza's sins, because we both have our own sin. And the penalty for sin is death. But Jesus is perfect, and so he's qualified to take your death penalty for you. And so he's our substitute. That is the gospel. Well, the second aspect we said was the identity aspect. 
the identity aspect. This is the gospel status or the, or the relationship. We always talk that having a relationship with Jesus Christ is so foundational to Christianity and even different than Catholicism, sort of. Like the Catholics usually don't um, talk about a relationship with Jesus. Um, but that's actually part of the gospel, that this identity, we said it's this, it's good news about a status you receive now, not simply a reward you receive later. That is there still a reward later? Yes, there's a reward later. But every other re world religion will also offer you a, re a reward later. But what they cannot offer you is absolute assurance of your status now. Because only Christianity saves you by grace. Just a gift of God through faith, through trusting in Jesus. But like I said, if every other religion is based off of advice or works or doing goods, then you will never know how good you're doing. Um, and so this is, it's by grace. And so there's a reward, but we have assurance now. And so the nutshell for this one was you're more flawed and sinful than you ever dared believe. And yet you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope at the exact same time. That it's this totally unique identity. That many Christians, in fact, and some people think that when you become a Christian, you become perfect. And that's not true at all. And the Bible doesn't teach that. That we still have sin within us, as long as we're still in this fleshly body, that we are now freed from the penalty of sin as Christians, which means not hell or separation from God when we die, but we are not yet freed from the power of sin or from the presence of sin. And so that's part of our identity, that we cannot be, feel superior to anybody, nor can we feel inferior to anybody. And then there's the kingdom aspect. The kingdom aspect is the adoration or values. So Donald Trump takes office. Whenever a new president takes office, they bring in a whole new administration, right? Sort of like hire new leaders, and it's sort of, it's, it's a new kingdom. Well, the kingdom of God is the, is the realm where, where God, the realm that God has say over, the realm that he rules over. And God, when Jesus came in, in, the, in the four gospels, he's primarily talking about the gospel, that Jesus is not going around saying, you to believe in my death and resurrection and uh, accept me into your heart. Jesus never says that. When he talks about the gospel, he invites people into the kingdom of God. He says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's made available. You can live in, in the world that I'm like sort of bringing forth. A whole new world. It's absolutely different. And the nutshell is the way up is down. The way to real power is to give up selfish power and to serve. Um, I guess I, I skip. it's the reversal of value. That in the kingdom of God, it's not about what you... Um, what you bring, what you've accomplished, it's the reversal of the world's values, not strength to live according to the world's values. Um, but so all three aspects, there's one gospel, it's three aspects, and they're all by grace. That was last week. That's what the gospel is, if you missed last week. Tonight, I want to turn a corner a little bit and talk about how does the gospel actually change you? How does the gospel actually change you? So uh, I said, um, I think I said this last week, that the phrase I I like that I've heard and the way to put it is this, that the gospel isn't just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. It's like the whole thing, that we said it's not just a, a facts or beliefs that you believe in, it's a whole worldview. It's a whole new way of seeing everything. It's not just something you believe, but um, it's, I like to put it like this too, it's not only how you become a Christian, it's actually the way, the gospel, the way that you grow and mature and are changed. Most Christians go, whoa, 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 I thought the gospel was just like how I got saved, how I became a Christian. And then from there, you have to try very, very hard to obey and to do good. Um, and I would actually say, no, instead, I'm proposing that you grow through continually believing and re-understanding and reapplying 
the gospel again and again. I know, okay, time out. This is sort of heady, a little bit like, Brad, I'm just not in the mood tonight, some of you. You just had a long day of school, and you're prepared for five days off, some of you. I've realized that. So go with me a little deeper. I love this stuff. I think this will help perhaps some of you. Um, freshmen, maybe you're like, I've got a nosebleed because you're killing me, Brad. This is awful. This is so whatever. Um, these summary statements. So if you have an outline, look at these summary statements. This, I didn't discover these. I never heard these until 2009. I've been in full-time ministry for four years, leading tribe. This was so helpful for me. This was absolutely clarifying for me. These two, uh, these two summary statements of distinguishing the gospel from religion. That the gospel is, I'm accepted by God through what Christ has done for me. Therefore, I obey. But religion operates under this principle. I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. That must think in religious terms. That we think of all religions, including Christianity, as this is how we work. This is how us, me and God, operate. I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. And which is why I say that's our default. That almost every morning we wake up and go, maybe if I'm good enough today, God will love me and answer my prayers and give me a good life. But that the gospel is actually starts with, I'm accepted by God, no matter what. I'm accepted by God. If you to him humbly or repent and say, God, I, I trust in you. I want you to be my Lord. You're accepted by God through what Christ has done for you. Therefore, I obey. Did you notice, like, obedience is in both of them? Like, I didn't say there's no advice in Christianity. But that's not the first thing. That's not the starting place. And when you see what Jesus Christ has done for you, it's not that you have to obey what else could you do if God loves you that much? He takes your death penalty for you. Grace wrecks you. And just, you sort of go, so if you think, you know, that it's sort of licensed to do whatever you want, like if it's, Brad, if it's really by grace, can I just sort of accept God and then live however I want to? Uh, if you think that you probably don't really understand grace. And yes, I think the gospel does sound like licensed to sin or licensed to act however you want. But I think if you think that way, like, well, then I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go fill a sin bucket and because God's just going to forgive me. You probably don't get, you probably don't understand grace. But those two phrases, I think, are absolutely uh, so helpful, were so helpful to me. And so here's the deal. The way our heart actually works is like this. That our heart, we keep slipping back to the default mode. Like I said, almost every day we, we know the truth. We know the way it's supposed to be. But we, so we need, to, we need to beat the gospel into our heads. That Martin Luther, this great early church father, anyone heard of Luther? Some of you have not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther um, started the Protestant Reformation. But he said something to this effect. Uh, the gospel is, um, how does he say it? The key, the key Christian doctrine, but he says this. Uh, most essential is it that we know this doctrine well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. That's what Martin Luther says. We need to know this. We need to teach it to others. We, you have to beat it into our, like, I need to beat the gospel into my head every morning. But we fail to believe the gospel, which is why we struggle so much. Um, I'm just going to read real quick this one verse. Well, I'll read, I'll read the whole thing. Check this out. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. These two apostles are sort of fighting. So the apostle Paul is writing this book in the New Testament. It's a letter to the Gentiles. But Peter, whose name is Cephas here, or he's also called Cephas, see. Paul writes this, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. So these two sort of start an argument, I guess. 
because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. If you're new to church, if you're Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish in that day. If you weren't Jewish, you were a Gentile. They were sort of outsiders. They were sort of looked at as like sort of unclean, and Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. James, or I'm sorry, Peter starts understanding the gospel, and he starts to associate with Gentiles because that's what the gospel does in you. It breaks down walls. You associate with people that aren't like you. And he started to do that. But these Jews come with James back to, I guess, the church. And so he was eating with Gentiles, but it says, but when they arrived, Peter began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You know what group that is? That's the Jews. He was afraid of what the Jews, they're gossiping about Peter. And did you see Peter? He was like associating with those dirty Gentile folk. Uh, verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And so Paul, verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to Jewish customs? I love that line that I think is, yeah, in green. He doesn't say, Peter, you're a Christian and you're breaking the no racism rule, or whatever you would call this, religionist. You're a religionist, Peter. You're like not, he's drawing back. He was essentially becoming like, I'm going to start to not be a racist. And then he was like, no, these people are dirty. And so Paul confronts him, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Peter, you're breaking the no racism rule. And he said that. That is a sort of a rule. He says, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. It's as if, as if Paul is saying, using this metaphor and saying the gospel is a line. And so what I said last week, I said there's sort of three different groups, three different perspectives. Look back at your outline. That maybe you can go to one extreme or the other, and the gospel is not like a halfway point. It's not like a halfway compromise. But the extremes, if you were here last week, we talked about the prodigal son. And that there's actually two lost sons. I said there's two ways that people know how to approach God and they're both wrong. And there's one way that's the right way. Because in the prodigal son, you remember this? The older son, at the end of the, the story, the younger son who like went out and like, you know, used up all his money on prostitutes and stuff, he was actually in at the feast. Remember this? And the older son was angry and stewing and bitter. And he was outside the feast yelling at the father and being like, I've slaved my life for you. And he's not actually in. So the, the, here's the three perspectives. There's always three perspectives when we talk about changing. And so I said, last week I said this, the gospel critiques both religion and irreligion. Or I use these phrases, moralism and relativism. That the gospel critiques both older brother lostness and younger brother lostness. So uh, right there, sorry, you already got it. Way to be. Moralistic approach. The moralistic approach. We talked about this last week. This is sort of the older brother-ish approach focuses mostly on behavior change, tends to be condemning a little bit, and sort of says, buck up. This is the more religious approach. Many of you, if you grew up going to church, uh, this is sort of like the mindset maybe in your home. This is totally, this is me. I grew up as a moralist, sort of a Pharisee type. Um, I think, again, this is, can be just you slip into this. You actually do understand the gospel, but you slip into this. Um, morals are not bad. I said that last week. Don't hear me wrongly. But Christianity and the gospel is certainly more than just good morals. But certainly there's people out there that say, I don't need God to have good morals. I don't need to, I don't need no right and wrong. You can just sort of know that. Well, 
Yes and no. Um, secondly, the relativistic approach. This is the opposite spectrum. This tends to be the more liberal sort of person. The first one tends to be the more conservative person, probably. Again, these are generalizations. But the, the relativistic approach focuses mostly on the emotions and says you just need to change the way you think. Um, basically, it says loosen up. You know, the first category says you need to buck up, just fix your behavior. Well, the second category says say loosen up. It tends to be the more psychological approach, although I'm not against psychology, but it just tends to be that way. Well, the gospel is sort of that third way I mentioned. Gets to the underlying condition, to the heart issue, to the root. So the gospel approach and then the words for the blank, heart and God. Something other than God is more important to your self-image, to your hope and joy. Something other than God becomes more to your self-image. So let me, give, um, let me give an example real quick. So take just discouragement. You're really discouraged, or maybe even depression. Although um, I'm not talking like, so this is non-clinical depression. Some of you, I mean, that's sort of a separate thing. But it, say you're like really upset or down about something. Here's the three perspectives. That the moralist uh, approach basically says you're breaking the rules somewhere, repent. You're probably breaking the rules. You probably, are you, are you bang somewhere? You're probably so discouraged because you're just not acting right and tends to focus on behavior. The relativistic approach says you're not loving and accepting yourself enough. And so some of you will find if you grew up in the moralistic frame of mind, you'll go off to college perhaps, maybe, not for sure, and you'll sort of encounter other friends, ways of living, and hey, you should drink this, hey, you should smoke this, hey, you should do this. And, um, and you start to go, I sort of, I'm not supposed to do, I wasn't raised this way, but I sort of want to do this. And you go, you know what, I'll just change what I believe. Actually, like, this is quite simple. I could, just, I could just believe whatever I want. And that's sort of the more relativistic approach. Just says, change what you think. You're just not loving and accepting yourself enough. The gospel approach says this. Something in your life has become more important to God, more important to you than God. Something in your life has become more important to you than your relationship with Jesus. And you've got to get to the root. What is underneath it? What's your heart really trusting in? I'm going to skip a second illustration. So try to let this sink in. There's sort of a moralistic approach and a relativistic approach and a gospel approach to basically everything. I was going to go over evangelism, how there's a different approach to evangelism. Why should we talk about our faith or should we not? I got a whole list of these. But so it's not just do this. Here's the, here's the to-do list for Christians and here's the to-don't list. So let's go a little bit deeper real quick. I got five minutes left. What does it mean to say the gospel is what changes us not simply trying harder to obey. What does that mean? Well, the gospel always tries to get underneath the behavior, to the root issue, to the heart. So on your outline, middle set of bullets there, there's a reason underneath of our sin. There's always a sin beneath the sin. For example, when we tell a lie, why do we do it? Why do you lie in any situation? Anyone got a quick why do you lie? Tanner. I knew, what, why do you lie when you tell a lie? Totally. So you don't get in trouble. We don't want to upset our parents that if we lie because I don't want my mom and dad to be mad at me, I'm, I'm fearful of punishment, but uh, most of the time I don't want to get in trouble. Um, sometimes we lie because um, we don't want to be inconvenienced. Like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy on Friday, I have plans. But that's really a lie, you just don't want to be inconvenienced. I mean, we lie for a lot of reasons, but some of it is we want approval from others, we don't want someone to be mad at us, or we don't want to be punished, get into trouble. 
The real reason, though, what does that mean? That means at the root, we're trusting in the approval of others. Many times our parents, but we're really trusting in the approval of others. We're not trusting in God. We're not trusting God's way is best. And so God says, don't lie. And I go, I don't care, God. Because right now, what's most important to me is not getting grounded this weekend. And so I'm going to lie about when I really got in last night. So we don't care. We have unbelief in our hearts. Second bullet point on the outline. Our hearts are longing for something else more than God. We commit idolatry. That's something else Luther pointed out. was the first person I ever heard. That we will, and I've said this before, you will never um, break commandments 2 through 10 in the Ten Commandments. Don't lie, don't honor your father, or honor your father and mother. Don't lie, cheat, steal, covet your neighbor's stuff. You will never break commandments 2 through 10 without first breaking commandment 1. What's commandment 1? Have no other gods before me. That at the root is idolatry. It's the last point. So we really need to believe the truth of the gospel instead of trusting in something or someone else to save us. Again, it's not easy to do, but we need to understand there's, there's always a sin beneath the sin. Lust, yes, you shouldn't look at pornography. But there are reasons that you're longing for this, this feeling that you get. You have an intimacy idol. You have a pleasure idol. You, you have this void in your life. You're not getting love from wherever else. Um, and certainly there's other things, whatever, and it can get it. But all kinds of stuff. Why do you gossip? You don't, it's not just don't gossip. You're gossiping for certain reasons. To feel better about yourself. That if you put people down, then you will feel better about yourself. And so let me put it this way. Strong Christians, strong Christians are oftentimes actually trusting in something other than Jesus for their ultimate salvation. They have false saviors. Um, real quick, let me read this. this is, I, we taught on this in December, and I'm going to make the time for it real quick. This, if you remember this, this absolutely freaks out some of us. Not everyone who's to me, Lord, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. This Christianity stuff is not just a game. It's not just like we got to go, it's not just moralism, and we go and act the, play the part in good and happy face. The gospel gets down deep, and when you really start to look at the gospel, and when you really see that Jesus gives you grace every time, you're just way by that. Quick, three gospel gives only the gospel the power to stand wrong with you. Gives you the power to understand what's wrong with you. The moralistic approach makes you only look at behavior, basically, and the relativistic approach makes you look only at your emotions. But the gospel helps you look underneath. The gospel helps you look at what's your heart issue? What are you really living for? What are you really trusting in? What's the sin beneath the sin? Secondly, this ties along with it. Only the gospel gives you the power to admit what's wrong with you. I love this one. The moralist, if you're on the moralistic side, you have a very, very hard time admitting that you ever do anything wrong. I'm totally guilty. This is absolutely 100% me. Why can't the moralist do this? The moralistic person can't do this. It's the foundation of their self-image. That they can't admit there's something wrong with them because their good moral behavior is what they've built their life on. And Jesus is Savior, basically like, God's going to love and accept me because I've had a pretty record. 
and I've kept my nose clean, and I've stayed out of trouble, and I don't party on the weekends. And so doggone it, I'm a pretty good person. And they don't know that deep down they're accepted by God out of sheer grace. And that needs to be their foundation. And then only the gospel gives you a lasting motivation to change. This, let me like go over this real quick. This is maybe the most important part. There's different reasons we do stuff, right? There's common motivations and there's a lasting motivation. And you have motives for doing all kinds of things. You're sad, you're angry, so you do certain things. You, you feel guilty, you're ashamed. I want to say this. Perhaps the two most common motivations are guilt, I'm sorry, uh, fear and pride. Fear and pride. You do kinds of stuff because of fear and pride. And so here's fear. Fear says, tell the truth or you'll get caught. You need to obey. You need to not cheat or steal or you'll get caught. Or later on, you better not steal or you'll get put in jail. So there's a motivation, coupled with a reward of not going to jail. Um, pride works like this. Um, pride says, don't lie because you're better than those dirty liars that, uh, you know, those liberals are. They're just dirty liars. Don't lie you're better than them. Um, you, need to put, you need to look put together because you're better than those grungy people that don't, those hobos or whatever. Um, fear and pride. What, what, what happens is we just become older brothers, that we're actually motivated by selfishness. That when you start to keep your act together because you're full of pride, you become smug and arrogant, and you look down your nose at people that don't live as well as you do, and you become an older brother. You become a Pharisee. Only the gospel gives you a lasting motivation. What's that motivation? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So that when you in, it leads you to Jesus, not to beat yourself up. Because you can never forgive yourself if you're your own Lord and Savior. So let me read this final statement. Look at this on the screens. Only in Jesus is it true that if you get him, he'll satisfy you. And if you fail him, he will forgive you. Your, you guys, your false saviors, your idols, whatever it is that's that sin beneath the sin, if you get it, it will never ultimately sell you. And if you fail it, it will never forgive you. Some of you in here have done things. I'm not going to, you know, you've done things with your body. You've done things with another person. done things that you, you would say, I can't even forgive myself for that. And you know what? God would forgive you for that. God has forgiven you for that, most likely. But quite possibly, you are still your own Savior and Lord, and you have not submitted to his lordship. Because you really do, if you, if you screw up and like do something stupid, and you go, God, go, go to God and repent, he's going to forgive you. Because that's the kind of God he is. Anyway, all right? Chew on this stuff. This was so, so helpful for me the first time I've, uh, I've heard it. So you got to get, what's the sin beneath the sin? That's how you start to change. And so much of it comes down to your motivation. 